Hello, you're listening to Not The Queen's English, the podcast about British English and life in the UK. I'm Murray. And I'm Holly, and this week we're talking about going to university. Ooh! I know, but before that, before we get into all that, talk about stuff that's happening in the news this week. Oh my goodness, what's happening in the news this week? Keep it light. (laughs) Oh, right, yes. (laughs) Um, Well, this is something you already know about, um, for once. Um, I know that you don't like to look at the news, but I don't think you could avoid this, which is uh, the news about our Eurovision entry this year having (gasps) been announced. How exciting. It's really exciting. It's funny because... Historically, I probably wouldn't have been so excited, but last year we came second, which is the best we've done for a long long time. time. Well, just for context, so this um, this year's entrant is called May Muller, and she was born in 1997, which is the same year as our last winning Eurovision entry. Do you know a lot has happened recently to make me feel old, but I think this I think this is really sort of the cherry on the cake of, of my <laughs> What, someone born in nineteen ninety seven being able to, you know yeah. do a song vote. <laughs> votes. Uh, yeah, be in their twenties. Yeah, that's very sobering. It is but alarming. how exciting. It is exciting. And the song is called I Wrote a Song, which I thought, oh, is that a bit twee? And then I listened to it and I was like mm, sure about this but actually the more you listen to it it is just a banger and I think it will do well I liked it the first time I heard it which doesn't happen for me very often with any song much less a British Eurovision entry yeah fair play then so yeah, I've got a good feeling, which I'll probably come to regret saying that in a, a somewhat public forum. Yeah, but, um... <laughs> yeah, you might regret that if we get nil point, because we have got nil point a few times in the past. We're going to talk more about Eurovision in a dedicated Eurovision episode this year, yeah. because Eurovision is being hosted in the UK. We, we hoped it might be happening in Glasgow um, because I, I think I probably would have gone. I normally wouldn't take an interest this early in proceedings, but... I've been getting more into it over the past couple of years. Yeah, well, what's nice is that I like have some friends from different parts of Europe who have been telling me about the, you know, oh, we've got the semi-final of mm. our sort of, of how we pick the winner yeah. <laughs> happening. Whereas it's not like that here. We used to have a competition. I think it was called Eurovision Making Your Mind Up, a reference ah. to the Bucks Fizz song, Making Your Mind Up. Yeah. Bucks. I mean, okay, the song is probably less iconic than the skirt than the... reveal. <laughs> Uh, we'll link to the video it's it's too difficult to explain (laughs) yeah uh, but a previous uh, winning entry for the UK but yeah um, there used to be a show like that on the BBC where various artists would perform and I think it was the viewers would vote for who they wanted to represent us well they've stopped doing that I think that's how Javeen got in so it's probably good that they've stopped doing that British people can't be trusted with democracy (laughs) Uh, I hope you're not dissing touch my fire Um... (laughs) how could I last year I think the the BBC worked with uh, kind of like a management agency I think and got Sam Ryder and Spaceman did really well, Mm. it topped the jury votes Um, and so they've used the same people this year to help them find Mae Muller. Now I I hadn't heard of her before but she has had a bit of chart success Oh really? Um, Yeah, she she was on um, a kind of uh, like a Swedish dance track that charted in 2021, I think it went platinum in the US um, that makes her sound much more credible than than I would have imagined. The average. Yeah, I mean, I think just like think of like Swedish house mafia. Like, I mm. think Sweden is just good for dance music. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, her. I looked up some facts about her. Okay. Um, Fill me in. So she, her auntie, 
I think produces or does work on music videos. Ah. So she used to be able to go along and watch music videos being made, uh, including making a cup of tea for Labyrinth on the set of one of his videos. Labyrinth? Labyrinth, I don't yeah. know who Labyrinth is. Am I old? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, he's a rapper and he was on the song Earthquake with... He did a song called Earthquake with Tiny Temper. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah is yeah, that yeah. Really, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so she... But she also appeared... Um, in uh, Mika's Grace Kelly video when she was a child. Okay. Um, So it's not all good, her background in music. Well, but also Mika, another Eurovision connection. That's true, he presented last year, Yeah, he did, and did a medley. Um, (laughs) So maybe, you know, maybe this all sort of stands her in good stead. She has supported Liam Payne and Little Mix on tour. So she can perform live, which is helpful. Uh, We don't want a Gemini situation happening. (laughs) Nobody Poor wants Gemini. that. It's not their fault that they sang out of key. Yeah. I'm sure it must be a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, also, I learned that about one of her tattoos. I'm saying one of because I just imagine that she's got quite a few. One of the facts that came up about her is that she's got a tattoo of a piece of British confectionery on her arm. And I want you to try and guess what it might be. Is it a curly whirly? No, you... it's not. Okay. No, not... I'm not trying to make you say it. But it is something that is Scottish. An iron brew bar no <laughs> a no. tannock's tea cake yes. no way yeah. where's she got that i don't know i don't know if she's got like scottish heritage or something oh my gosh but... obviously a woman of taste and discernment yeah so yeah i'm i think we'll say more about all of this uh in our eurovision episode yeah. but just to say that i'm excited i think that this you know i think that it's got potential it's nice to go into eurovision thinking like maybe we could do all right we, yeah. i looked up the um the bookies odds last night and mm. i think we were currently placed fourth Wow. Um, yeah, mind you, <laughs> Sweden had come number one, and I don't think they'd even announced their uh, their oh entry goodness. at the time of recording. So, yeah. What sort of favouritism is that? Yeah, Honestly, no. just because just they gave the world ABBA, what have they done for us lately? Oh my gosh, they, Lots Sweden, of things. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, very much looking forward to that. But I think uh, that we'll put a pin in Eurovision for now. Yes. And we'll be back in May with more Eurovision content. Um, but now, time to go on to talking about universities. Yes, um, and in keeping with our new format, um, which we're recording this like a day after the previous episode went out, so we have, don't have any feedback. We haven't that. had the hate mail through yet. <laughs> but I'm going to assume that it's a hit. Okay. Uh, so we're going to stick to People it. People loved the format Oh my last god, they time. cannot oh get enough gosh. of the format. Yeah, so I've picked a few phrases um, that I just want to teach, and I've got some example sentences for these phrases related to the subject of going to university in okay. the UK. Um, and that is going to guide our discussion in a most professional and engaging manner. Oh, well, I love the sound of that. That's my Let's prediction. Let's go. Um, okay, so the first one, this is not exclusively a British English phrase. I think they do well, use this. Well, get out. <laughs> <laughs> I think they do use this in America as well, but I think we use it much more often. Okay. Um, and that's. I'm the... waiting for you to just say something super American now <laughs> for me to be like, no. And it's, it's fanny pack. <laughs> <laughs> So um, the phrase I've picked is the be-all and end-all. Ah, as in like university is not the be-all and end-all. Listen, don't step on my example Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) But that is literally the example that I chose. (laughs) So what I've written is, when I was at school, I thought getting into uni was the be-all and end-all. I must have written about 100 drafts of my personal statement for UCAS. Oh my gosh. Okay, lots of key phrases in that. Lots to unpack. Yeah. 
Um, I, that's the thing. I I think that there is a sort of sense that going to university is the be all and end all. I think partly the by fact... which we mean. Sorry, I just we we no, always I do know. this where we launch into the sort of cultural bit without actually explaining what the. Uh, what the phrase means. That's the thing. I think it's usually used in the negative, right? That it's people generally not, would say that something's not the be all and yeah. end all. Meaning, um, it's not like it's not the most important thing. It's not like something that if you don't get it or achieve it or whatever, that your life will be over. Yeah, it's like you've got there'll be other things. Yeah. Um, and I think it is strange that there's a lot of pressure. Um, on people, you know, when you're you're just like silliest and most mad <laughs> when you're sort of between the ages of like 15 and 18 you're having to sit exams and things that will determine what university you get into. Yeah. Generally the majority of people who go to university start when they're 18 or 19. Yeah. Um, it's it's yeah, pretty much like you make a decision in the last year of, your, of school and then that's that's what you go and do. That's what you live with for mm. the rest of your life. <laughs> no, you don't because it's not the be all and end all. No, exactly. Um, well, we should explain about like personal statements and UCAS because yeah. I mean these are things that like seem like the be all and end all. They really like occupy all of your attention mm. when you're about 16, 17 uh, in the UK but you probably don't come into contact with them much as an adult but they are just sort of phrases that will float around in the culture because so many people like go through this mm. um so you cast what does it actually stand for oh my gosh i'm sure every time we talk about this one of us <laughs> says what is this i think it must be something like the universities and colleges application system yes that's what would make most sense yeah i'll take that um because yeah it's the third party through which you apply to different universities yeah. so you can apply to five universities um, if you are doing medicine, you can only apply to medicine at four places. Oh, I think right. because it's such like a rigorous process, mm. there's like interviews and extra tests and stuff. They think that like, oh, four is fine, but five will just be going completely mad. It's so, a weird place to draw the line. Yeah, one well, not three. But so I think a lot of people apply to four medical schools and then they apply somewhere to do biomedical science as their fifth uh. option just to, yeah. You also can't apply to Oxford and Cambridge Again, I suppose because both of those involve interviews generally and kind of mm. various other tests and bits, bits of work you need to do. But also, if you do apply to Oxford or Cambridge, every other university you've applied to knows that you've applied to them <laughs> because you submit. You have to submit your application, like, what, two, three months before everyone else? The yeah, deadline why is, is that? so, so that generally the UCAS deadline to, to apply to all the other universities is sort of mid-January, let's say the 15th of January. Yeah. But if you want to apply to Oxford or Cambridge, they ask for you to submit your application by the 15th of October. Yeah. And I guess that's because you usually have interviews around the sort of December, yeah. December Which into January. It's really terrible because... Uh, so, okay, yeah. Personal admission klaxon. Okay. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> we met at the University of Cambridge... But like I, I would have completely missed out on even applying because I didn't, I didn't know about the deadline. My mum just, my mum who is a teacher at a different school from the one I went to, just saw a thing on a notice board one day about like <gasps> um, Oxbridge. People often use the term Oxbridge to refer to Oxford and Cambridge together. Oh yeah, Oxbridge isn't a place, but no. there is a place called Uxbridge. So Very it, confusing. yeah, it is confusing. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, Oxford and Cambridge are, are sort of seen as like slightly standing apart from the rest of the universities in the UK because I guess they're sort of the oldest. Well, they're not even the oldest. I don't really know how they ended up having this particular reputation, but they are. They do, they do just have this reputation for being sort of the poshest, 
most like elite universities so but yeah the sort of I guess sort of the central part really of uh, the UCAS application again different if you're applying for medicine or to Oxbridge but sort of the most important part of it was the personal statement mm. which is like it's really short looking back it's just a few paragraphs it's like one one side of A4 pretty yeah. much where you talk about I it's just like it, a cover letter for a job, really. Yeah, but they... So some universities, Oxbridge, say that they don't really care about it. But I was asked a lot of questions about stuff I'd written on it. Same. In, so they, they care about it in terms of they want you to talk about your academic interests. But yeah. I think a lot of people do it as a kind of... Um, it's almost like at what I did on my holidays report. <laughs> people just saying things like, oh, I like going like skiing and I sort of look after dogs sometimes at the weekend and I'm a prefect. Yeah. Um, I, I think the I think the, I, the advice they always give you is like, it should be sort of like why you're applying for the particular courses you're applying for and like relate your sort of interests to that. But it's difficult um, because the same one goes to all five yeah. places you've applied, so you can't tailor it. Because to... theoretically, you could be applying for, like, you know, French at Edinburgh and, like, biology at Exeter. I mean, you probably wouldn't be. but, no, but you some could people, be. You could be. And your personal <laughs> statement has got to be, like... I love snorkelling off the coast of France. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah. it's uh, But, yeah, like, it's, it's just this thing that people get super stressed about. So a, a lot of people, yeah, will sort of carry that into adult life with them Mm, remember writing it yeah because when I read mine back now I feel like relatively proud of it but what do you mean when you read it when when I haven't set eyes on mine since I submitted it I think I just found it in my email inbox when I was looking for something else and I had a quick look through it because I remember early drafts of one when I was applying for French starting like how embarrassing yeah I know and you I wish my teacher had said like this is pretentious yeah. but I think she, instead she very sort of um diplomatically said like mm, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe not. don't do that mine had a typo in it no did and you it... spell your name wrong <laughs> I spell uh lead as in the past tense of lead with an a with an a because I guess, like, read and read being spelt the same. Mm, I, I, for a long time, I spelt the past tense yeah. of lead with an A in it. Yeah, and I I think I knew that that was wrong at the time, but it's just, it's the sort of thing that when you're reading it back, it doesn't jump out because mm. it looks sort of plausible. Oh. And that was, like, the number of people who proofread that for me and, and the number of times I read it, I just cannot believe. And it went off to the Univers- University of Cambridge with that on it. And I still got in, so... Well, they told you to have a gap here, and it was probably because they were like... Learn, Learn to spell... <laughs> Yeah, oh. yeah, they're very forgiving there. Oh gosh! Shall I move on to the next? Uh, yes, please. The next phrase, right? My next phrase is Billy no mates. Oh, and here's my example: okay. making friends at uni is weird. You spend the first day wandering around feeling like Billy no mates, but by the end of freshers' week, you might already be part of a really tight knit group. Oh, that I think that is something that a lot of people worry about because it's like you're you're leaving home probably for the first time unless you went to boarding school in which case it's just more of the same in which case nothing's ever going to be difficult for you no well done (laughs) um but yeah it's worrying about being a billy no mates yeah or like in scotland you say norman napals (laughs) we say norman napals yeah billy no mates is not we don't really use it here it sounds super english to Uh, me yeah i'd say norman just norman or norman napals 
Ah, see, I um, wouldn't say just Billy. I might say no. a, like a Larry, like Larry Loner. Ah, interesting. Um, yeah. I suppose there are. There and aren't... being on my Larry. I, yeah, I've never heard that. Yeah. <laughs> I guess there aren't a lot of Normans around, so it can sort of no, just take on the meaning. That's true. On its own. Um, yeah. So yeah. So a Billy Nomates is just someone with no friends. Although, like, you wouldn't you wouldn't often say that genuinely. No. As like an insult, it no. tends to be like yeah. I, don't I know. feel like a bit of a Billy Nomates rather yeah. than like. Oh, I'm incredibly lonely. I'm yeah. a Billy Nomates. Yeah. Um, so were you like because you you went to a different country to go to university? So I feel like that is already kind of a massive deal that you were a long way from home. Were you worried about being a Billy Nomates? Well, I had had a gap year um, before I went to uni, so I had sort of already gone through a lot of like having to make friends, um, and also, also I had spent like five months abroad at the start of that calendar year so from like January to May and I think then I spent the whole summer at home in Scotland and I think by the time university started I was just so beside myself with like desperation to like not just be in my parents' house, like, reading books. That Which I was is so funny, because now... So unlike me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think by the time I arrived at uni, I was just, like, weirdly keen to to meet people. Oh, like, I wasn't... Play. Like, but which is the best sort of headspace to be in. Mm. Like, um, yeah. Do, do you remember? I think we met on, like, the first day. Well, what I remember about meeting you is that you had heard of my hometown. <laughs> yeah. Um... I think you'd also heard, because I was one of two Scottish people mm. in our year at our college. And I'd met the other one already. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm I'm lucky that you were you were willing to give me the time of day yeah. that you'd already collected a Scottish one <laughs> um, for your scrapbook. Um, yeah, so I guess you wanted to meet someone with an accent. That's always, uh, yeah. always uh, been a bonus for you. Mm. Um, yeah, and I told you I was from Bathgate, and you immediately went, Bathgate, no more. Quoting the Proclaimers song. Yeah, and I thought, this is the start of a beautiful friendship, and lo, it oh was. Yeah, I think it is It is just scary, though, when you, when you start uni, because I think um, sort of the stereotypes around Freshers' Week are things like, oh, you have a phone party and you nearly drown in it. and yeah, you get ev- a fungus. Yeah, uh, Pete, everyone's sort of snogging. <laughs> yeah. uh, and if you're not, then you're a loser. Mm. And I think there was just like a lot of pressure on the idea that Freshers' Week is this big party time. And I am i didn't really drink much back then and I was definitely wasn't a party animal and I think I felt very nervous about going into that environment. But luckily, we went to a university where they have a Freshers' three days yeah. rather than a Freshers' <laughs> Week. Just to sort of show you from the off there yeah yeah no messing around this is about studying not having a nice time yeah so we should just say like freshers are first year university students Mm. i think in america they say freshmen Mm. but we call them freshers and freshers week is like it's not is it the first week of term or sort of the the week before the first week of term but we just to be clear we don't call people in their first year freshers generally no that's true maybe like for the first couple of months that they're there we might say like oh just one of the freshers or something but you yeah it's not really a term that's applied to no or or if it is used like that it would only be like within universities you yeah. You wouldn't be like, oh, this is my son. He's a fresher at yeah. <laughs> such and such an institution. Um, yeah. Um, and yeah, Freshers' Week is 
traditionally sort of like a week of partying I guess so that people can like break the ice make friends before classes start mm. although to be honest I think I think it would be much, much less stressful if you just turned up and went straight to classes because <laughs> um, then at least like you're because you're, it's like having this like dead time where it's like okay now you have to make friends it's very unnatural it's a lot of pressure to put on it um but I think what you said about, like, you know, very soon you, you become a very, like, close-knit group. That's definitely true for us because we lived in a building that was away from all the other freshers. Yeah. So we did make a very close-knit sort of group within the building. Um, yeah, I'm sure it doesn't happen to everyone, but I think it's quite a common experience that you have this, like, weirdly intense bonding at university. Mm. And, like, I think it's probably quite... For people who go to university in the UK, I think it's quite a common experience that you make your lasting friends yeah. at uni. A lot of people don't necessarily keep in touch with that many people from, like, primary school or high school. Like, probably it's not uncommon to keep those friendships going, but I think probably most people's, like, deepest friendships are made at university. Yeah, well, when you live with people and they're sort of there when you're at your most vulnerable, yeah. I think that is just a, a sort of a bonding experience automatically. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Now, this is a bit of a twofer. I've got two, <laughs> I've got two phrases in here. Which I definitely have seen written down and thought it was twoffer, and I was like, what is a twoffer? That sounds filthy, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> um, yeah, so my, the two phrases are piss money up the wall and Desmond. Oh, that's interesting <laughs> that you've put, put those two together. Well, well, listen to how I've put them together. Okay. It used to be that you could spend three years at uni pissing your grant up the wall, come out at the end with a Desmond, and you'd still probably get a decent job. It's much harder for graduates now. Oh, that's <laughs> a really good example sentence. Well done. Yeah, so first of all, what's a Desmond? A tutu, because yeah. it's a pun on Desmond Tutu. Yeah. Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Yeah, may he rest in peace. So yeah, so the way grades work at um, universities in the UK, the highest you can get is a first. I mean, you can also get things on top of that, like a starred first or like a first with distinction or whatever. But like, in terms of your actual degree classification uh the best result you can get is a first for, for an undergraduate degree yeah. and then what most people get is a two one which is written as like two colon one yeah. which i don't really understand no. why it, it looks like yours it looks like it says two to one yeah it yeah. looks like a ratio but it's actually it's sometimes called like an what is it like a an upper second class degree yeah i think so something that's so yeah you, first class degree second class degree which is split into two one which I would say is probably what most people get, yeah. and that that's not considered like, oh, it's a bit of a shame you didn't get a first. Like it's it's pretty standard yeah, to have a two yeah, one. Yeah. It wouldn't it wouldn't seem like a bad result by any means. Um, and then a two two or a Desmond is like a lower class, lower second, lower class. second class. Um, people rarely use those terms though. I think people tend to just use like the numbers. Yeah, two two or Desmond. Um, and a two two again, it's still you've passed your degree, but I think it's generally considered to be like not like an outstanding academic result. Like if you wanted to go in and do a master's or something, and you might struggle a little bit. Yeah, if you had a two two, but you still you've still got a degree. It's still yeah, you know. And then you can also get a third, um, which again that is classed as passing your degree, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but again, like probably not putting you in a great position for like further study or whatever. Um, so yeah, so that, that's what a Desmond is. That that phrase is probably not, well, that word is probably not as common as it as it was. I'm not sure how many like Gen Zs know who Desmond Tutu no. is. Um, but yeah, I, that's always made me laugh. Okay. <laughs> um, 
yeah, and pissing your grant up the wall. Uh, this, I feel like that is that is an expression I've heard so often from people who went to uni back in the day when you you know got a grant. Yeah, when you were paid to go to uni <laughs> rather than now where you have to pay. Couldn't you just cry thinking of it? Yeah, like, I know. Because um, we were lucky. We were the last year that had to pay that paid a lower tuition yeah, fee. So three and a half we grand paid a year. yeah three and a half grand a year, whereas now it's up to nine grand a year for yeah. your fees. And that, yeah, that's just your fees. You also then have your living expenses to yeah. cover. But yeah, back in the day, people got a grant. I guess I guess their fees were paid and they had a grant to cover their living costs. Yeah. Which is just great. Why is it not like that it's, now? It's just incredible. And I think, was it up until about like the late 90s that that was the case? I'm not sure exactly when it I can't think it when changed. it came in. Do you think pissing your money up the wall, yeah. pissing your grant up the wall, would you consider the pissing in that to be swearing? Yes. Really? Yeah. I wouldn't say that in front of, you know, I wouldn't say it on the radio and I wouldn't say it in front of my grandmother. Do you think it makes the podcast explicit? I think we're okay. okay. I think it's low enough down on the pyramid of profanity. But yeah. yeah, it's certainly, it's not something I would say in polite company. So just, you know, bear that in mind if you want to. <laughs> yeah, I w- yeah, that, that is colloquial to vulgar, I would say. Right, moving swiftly mm-hmm. on then. Uh, my, oh, my next and final phrase oh. is take the biscuit. Right. And... I'm like, what's this got to do with the university? <laughs> well, just you wait. So my example is, students have a reputation for misbehaving, but the Bullingdon Club really take the biscuit. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, there we go. There's a can of worms. Yeah. Well, first of all, taking the biscuit is like... Like, going... It's See, really I want to say doing something to the nth degree. Yeah, or I'm like, you know, it's like when you take the cake. Yeah. There's all these different ways of saying this, but what does it actually mean? It's like, so in that context, students have a reputation for misbehaving, but the Bullingdon Club take the biscuit. What we mean is, they really misbehave. Yeah, they they, they, they would sort of win a prize for it. They, yeah. They're like top of the uh, list in terms of naughty <laughs> behaviour. Yeah. Or sometimes people might say like, oh, well, that really takes the biscuit when, like, you know, someone does something that is sort of maybe typical of that person's bad behaviour, but is a particularly outrageous example. Um, Yeah, so that's how you use Takes the Biscuit. Now, who are the Bullingdon Club? The Bullingdon Club is an elite club at Oxford University, which I think it's the sort of thing that's invitation only. And it it would generally be the kind of thing of, oh, we went to a posh school together, so I'll invite you to join this club with me. Or yeah. you've got a wealthy father, so you can come along to this. This is the thing. Going to Oxford is already a fairly, like, elite club to belong to. And then even within that, mm. this is the people sort of... Men. I think it's exclusively men. Yeah, it's exclusively men. Um, Sort of, yeah. Well, maybe now, actually. I think maybe now some women go and that's meant to be seen Wouldn't as progressive. Wouldn't that be such a classic bit of, like... I don't even know what you call that. It's not, like, greenwashing or pinkwashing or whatever, but some sort of washing. Yeah, just, just of, like, make wow, it look really like, progressive. Yeah. Well, I think in the past it would have been that women would be invited along just to be ogled by the men. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the the reason that it's a very well-known thing in the UK, because there's one at Cambridge University called the Pitt Club, oh, yeah. but I don't think it's as well-known. And no. the reason the Bullingdon Club is so notorious is because David Cameron was in it, and Boris, Boris Johnson. Johnson, and George Osborne. Yeah. So former Prime Ministers and uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer yeah. uh, of the UK were in this club, and 
the, the, basically, they would dress up in really smart clothes. Yeah, like go white to, tie. Yeah, go see. to restaurants and just trash the place. Yeah. And then just sort of send a check the following morning to cover it or whatever. They would just do sort of just like badly behaved uh, sort of entitled things in this group. I think it was I think it was technically like a dining club. So yeah. you would go out for dinner, but often it would just involve them behaving really badly. And it's just got it's just got such a bad reputation because it does just seem to be posh people thinking they can do whatever they yeah. want. It just it sums up like um British upper class entitlement culture for a lot of people. Mm. Um and I think I, when we've sort of I don't know we mentioned earlier that we went to Cambridge and the reason that we're often a bit like cagey about talking about that, I think, is because things like the Bullingdon Club are so much a part of how Oxford and Cambridge are seen in popular culture. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, it's not it's not a totally inaccurate um, perception. Like, obviously, we, we didn't behave like that no. at Cambridge. Although, I re- Yes, you did! <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was just going to say, I remember, I don't know about, um, like, the sort of Cambridge version of the Bullingdon Club, but when we were at Cambridge, there was a restaurant in town that people would go to, like, just to trash it, basically. That was oh. their sort of, their sort of, like, Even selling Even thinking point. about it makes me it's feel just so, so The poor people furious. who worked there, like, yeah, like, drinking societies would go there and just, like, have food fights and, like, wreck stuff, and, like, oh. it was just... It was just sort of understood that that was the thing. We weren't part of that. No, we weren't. We and e- even at the impressionable age of eighteen, I think I could see like, well, that's just no way to behave. So <laughs> I'm no not way going to. to. <laughs> yeah, but exactly. I, there was there's a very famous photograph uh, that includes I think all three of them: David Cameron, yeah. Boris Johnson, and and George Osborne or Gideon, as he <laughs> probably was back then, because that's his real name. Oh. Um, they there's a photograph of them dressed in these sort of um, tail suits. Yeah. Uh, standing with everyone else in the Bullingdon Club and it the photograph came out and was published in a newspaper and I think they named all the people in it and then there was I think there was an attempt to sort of cover it up um I, th- I don't know if there was a sort of ban on printing the photo mm. in the media but people always share it on Twitter yeah. because as a kind of reaction to that of like oh David Cameron doesn't want people to see this and be reminded of his <laughs> sort of privileged upbringing so let's let's keep sharing but it but it's just mad isn't it that like everybody in the UK knows about this stuff and they know what they got up to and yet Boris Johnson for ages was this figure that was the sort, sort of man of the people rela- well I guess he wasn't quite man of the people in the way that like people say about Nigel Farage like Boris Johnson was always a bit of a posh idiot yeah but he was like a comedy character Mm. and yet everybody knew that it's just this really weird thing about British culture that Mm. like you could know that about our politicians and condemn it and at the same time be like oh but you know that's sort of just what they're like boys will be boys yeah it's really bizarre Mm. and it is just yeah it's very the Wellington Club is just very prominent in in popular culture as a as a way to have a go at these politicians but in a way that seemingly hasn't affected their careers at all. No, again, again like, the, there's this thing in the UK that we do, we do just have this slightly, like, I don't know, feudal mindset that mm-hmm. we sort of, we almost want our rulers to behave in this way because it <laughs> sort of reassures us. I guess this is the culture that comes from, like, having a royal family and stuff. Like, yeah. it, it produces a strange sort of political atmosphere. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't want to dwell on that for too long. But no, I thought, it's, it's a pretty negative thing to think about, the yeah. kind of stories that you hear about all of that. Um, so can we say anything nice about um, Oxford and Cambridge? I was about the Bullington Club. No. I, was like, Gosh, I don't know, no. I think I'd be hard pushed. No. Um, 
Anything nice about Oxford and Cambridge? Well, if you come to the UK, I would say worth visiting both of them. Yeah. The architecture is beautiful. Like, go around the colleges, go down to the river. Like, it is, it's just, like, a very nice place to go and visit. If you're there as a student, it is kind of mad because you are going to university in a tourist attraction. Yeah. So I, I remember stories of people in colleges like King's in Cambridge, which is the most famous one and mm. it's right in the middle people people sort of waking up and having tourists taking photographs through their bedroom oh. windows and stuff. <laughs> it's, it is very yeah. very strange um yeah i just i just also want to stress like you can go to oxford cambridge and just have quite a nice time and behave yourself fairly well and it was like we, you know it was a real privilege for us to get to study there it's opened doors for us in life although you wouldn't know it looking at my bank balance <laughs> um but yeah like so you know the <laughs> To take the rough with the smooth. Yeah, <laughs> um, um, yeah. I mean, it's we we were lucky to go there, and it's yeah. It, it we're, like this hasn't sort of put you off, <laughs> um, but yeah, it is. It is just a very strange place to go. It is like a kind of bubble that you're in. Yeah. Um, and yeah, a few. There's a few like very old and beautiful universities in the UK that mm. don't have necessarily the same kind of. Well, one that's sometimes lumped in with um, Oxbridge slash sometimes wants to be lumped in with Oxbridge is Durham. Yeah, people say Doxbridge. Yeah, Durham has Durham. colleges. It's a collegiate university. Yeah, not in the same way as Oxford and Cambridge, but it still does have that. Well, quite apart from like how similar or dissimilar Durham is from Oxford and Cambridge, it is just a very beautiful place. I've never mm. properly been, but you go through it on the train coming out to Edinburgh from the south, and oh, yeah, the it cathedral just looks... is stunning. Yeah, so um, yeah, lo- highly recommended to, to visit ancient universities in the UK. Mm. Um, university of St Andrews because St Andrews oh, yeah. is beautiful. There's the seaside. There's some like ruins. There's lovely sunsets and beautiful... The stars at night there are amazing. Yeah. It's just... Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, by all means, visit these places. But if you see someone visibly intoxicated wearing a white tie, maybe just steer clear. Yeah. That's a good idea. (laughs) Do we have any, like, top tourist tips for Cambridge? It's so long since we lived there. I know. Everything's probably changed by now. Go to Kettle's Yard. Um, That's such a nice... It's an amazing gallery, Mm. a house gallery. Um, And... And go up... Castle Hill, is that what it's called? Castle Hill, the, only, the hill. only hill in Cambridge, and it does give you like quite a nice view over the city. Um, it's such a, it's such a flat part of the country. Yeah, but, um, yeah, and also try not to pay to go into colleges. Look like a student, and you should just be able to walk into colleges for free. If you look really touristy, then you have to pay to go in. Yeah, that's interesting. There's somewhere you can. There's somewhere you need to like show your card or whatever. Yeah. But there's somewhere you can just like stride in. Mm. I'm sure if you're confident. Um, yeah, and and maybe walk to Grantchester. Grantchester is beautiful. Yeah, it's such a lovely village, and you can go and have like a nice pub lunch after walking like through the meadows to get there. It's a very yeah. sort of quintessentially English experience, I think, of yeah. like a cute pub with a roaring fire. And... You can even hire a punt and punt all the way to Grantchester. You can, which is Moor your punt and go to the <laughs> pub. Oh, how romantic! I feel like I'm in. Um... Brideshead Revisited. That's the one. <laughs> um, okay, well, I think we'll leave it there mm. uh, for just now. Um, all the usual housekeeping applies. Um... Yeah, if you've got any questions, let us know through the usual channels on Instagram at Not the Queen's English, through our Patreon page, where you can also uh, support us, become our patrons, uh, and then you get the cheat sheets for our podcast, which is just helpful, isn't it, for things like weird slang we've used or cultural references we've made that you didn't get. Like it'll all be listed there. Yeah, um, detailed explanations of all that stuff and links to you know videos, songs. Uh, 
and things like that that we've mentioned mm. um but yeah we will we will be back next week uh but until then bye bye ta bye bye